Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, August 28th, and this is your FT News Briefing. It's a second straight day of big opioid industry news as Purdue Pharma offers to settle thousands of lawsuits. Meanwhile, Philip Morris and Altria talk about reunifying in a merger that would create the world's biggest tobacco group. Plus, the FT's Robin Wigglesworth explains the origins of the term Japanification and why the phenomenon could apply to the United States soon. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Developments around the legal action seizing America's opioid industry continue, this time with Purdue Pharma. Sources say that the maker of OxyContin and members of the controlling Sackler family have offered to settle thousands of lawsuits against the company. That could amount to a total of up to $12 billion. Purdue is using the threat of its potential bankruptcy to convince plaintiffs to accept the offer. The proposal includes up to $8 billion from Purdue. $4 billion of that would be in-kind payments of drugs, including those trying to reverse opioid overdoses. The Sacklers would contribute another $3 billion, and the family would get the money by selling Mundi Pharma, which focuses its sales of painkillers and other medicines in Europe. This comes just a day after an Oklahoma judge condemned Johnson & Johnson for being a quote-unquote public nuisance for its role in the state's opioid crisis. The company was ordered to pay $572 million by the court. 22 opioid makers, distributors, and pharmacies are being named in more than 2,000 cases due to go to trial in October. Sources say that the states, cities, and counties that are pursuing Purdue Pharma are deciding whether to accept the offer before a meeting at the end of the week. Investors gave two of the world's biggest tobacco groups a cool reception over merger talks. Philip Morris International and Altria are considering the possibility of recombining after their split 11 years ago. In the process, it would create the world's biggest tobacco group with a market value of nearly $200 billion. Shares in Altria initially rose as much as 11.3% after word of the talks got out, but they eventually closed down 4% on the day at $45.25. Meanwhile, Philip Morris International shares fell 7.8% to $71.70. A source told the FT that the would-be nil premium deal would give Philip Morris International shareholders up to 59% ownership of the combined group. The two companies separated in 2008 in order to shield Philip Morris International from slowing U.S. cigarette sales, as well as the threat of regulation and litigation. Tobacco companies are pushing into the market for e-cigarettes and heated tobacco technology. And last year, Altria agreed to take a 35% stake in the e-cigarette group Juul Labs for $13 billion. And in other news, several UK parties are working together to stop a no-deal Brexit. Yesterday, six opposition parties made a pact to pursue legislation. The bill would stop Prime Minister Boris Johnson from taking the UK out of the EU without an agreement on October 31st. The parties are expected to make moves on the legislation starting next Tuesday. Political considerations play absolutely no role in the Federal Reserve's policymaking. That's what a spokeswoman told the Financial Times, responding to commentary by the former head of the New York Federal Reserve. Bill Dudley wrote a column for Bloomberg where he urged the central bank to counter Donald Trump's pressure for it to lower rates ahead of the 2020 election. 
Mr. Dudley called Mr. Trump's re-election a threat and said that politically motivated stimulus would encourage the U.S. president's trade policies, doing long-term damage to the U.S. economy. Sources tell the FT that the Pentagon has not asked Amazon or Microsoft for new information over a $10 billion computing deal. U.S. Defense Secretary Mark Esper is due to announce the winner of what is being called the JEDI contract. It would give one company the responsibility of handling U.S. military data and communications around the world. However, the process has been dogged by controversy and accusations of favoritism. And exercise equipment company Peloton has disclosed the prospectus for its hotly anticipated IPO. Known for its high-end treadmills and at-home cycling equipment, Peloton revealed that its losses climbed to $196 million in the year to June 30th. The SEC filings show that the company burned through cash at its fastest clip since its founding, despite revenue doubling from the year prior to $915 million. The group plans to raise $500 million in the IPO, but that figure is a placeholder and is likely to change. And here's a closer look at a story you should know more about. There's constant fear that another recession is on the horizon. But many investors and analysts are more worried about a deeper, structural shift called Japanification. Japanification is the term that economists often use to describe Japan's experience since its economic and financial market bubble burst in the early 90s. That's Robin Wigglesworth, the global finance correspondent for the FT. Since then, Japan has essentially experienced very little economic growth, falling prices, that is deflation, and property prices falling, even as the government and the central bank have done everything they can to get the economy revving again. And that has just led to falling interest rates, falling bond yields, and growing debt. Why are we talking about it now? We've been talking about Japanification almost since the financial crisis, but it's mostly been focused on Europe. Because Europe, like Japan, has some unfortunate demographic challenges. The population is getting older. That tends to lead to more savings and lower inflation. And obviously, the Eurozone crisis led to a massive debt buildup and slower economic growth across the entire region. So people mostly thought that Europe was in most danger of Japanification. But increasingly, as the economy has continued to stay relatively sluggish in the US as well, inflation has remained absent and interest rates have stayed low and bond yields are falling low again to record lows this summer, people are worried that Japanification might not just be a phenomenon for Japan and Europe, but actually might be a global challenge. What does it mean going forward that all of these countries are entering the same phase roughly around the same time? Does, does that have any bearing on this? Japan's economic malaise was easier for the world to shrug off when it was just Japan. Now, Japan is one of the world's biggest economies, but it wasn't an engine like the United States is. If the entire world or the developed world is heading this direction at a time when China's economic engine is also spluttering a little bit, that's profoundly worrying. And it might mean that we have to explore even more extraordinary fiscal and monetary tools to escape this economic quicksand that we've fallen into. So Robin, what do some of these tools look like? In Japan, they've tried a lot of different things. 
that is mostly being focused on monetary policy, that the central banks have kept interest rates low and more recently negative, and they've bought billions and billions of dollars worth of bonds to keep government borrowing costs down and borrowing costs down for the entire economy. And it hasn't really done enough. The next stage might be to outright monetize debt in that the government borrows money that the central bank buys directly and spends that money on massive tax cuts, massive building projects, that they essentially pull out all the stops and say, we will print and spend enough money to get the economy out of this funk. At the moment, the most of the quantitative easing programs around the world have been done a little bit at arm's length, where the central banks have said that it's just an extension of normal monetary policy. It's a new tool, it's an unorthodox tool, but it's still just a classic monetary tool. We might need to blur the lines between fiscal and monetary policy. In other words, get central banks to fund government profligacy directly and just build, spend, go nuts and try and get the economies to really break out of this funk that we found ourselves in almost a decade. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. 